if you can like visualize a concept, it's so much easier to understand. And that became the birth of this idea of like, well, how can I take financial concepts and make them just a lot more digestible to people? Visualization is one of those ways of doing it. So, and that's when I started partnering with this company called Real Vision TV, which are trying to exactly do that, which is educate people about finance and try not to do it in a complicated or or a condescending kind of way because this is scary stuff. We're talking about big amounts of money, so you want to make sure you fully understand. And, and that's the whole idea of what I'm trying to do now with them is make it a bit more easy to understand. Just a little taste of my conversation with Jamie McDonald, travel and finance TV personality. He's now traveled to over 85 countries and counting radio show host, public speaker, auctioneer for charity, and ex-partner at a top hedge fund. Finance made sense for Jamie, raised in London, Oxford educated, until it didn't when he was honest with himself and coming to terms with that reality wasn't easy for him. But Jamie gave himself a two-year window to reinvent, to do something closer to what really fuels his soul. And that he did. In this episode, we talk about how Jamie Lynn did Eat, Stay, Love, the Condé Nast Traveler series, among other travel shows he now has under his belt. And we follow his career evolution from there, including a pivot back towards finance and business, but this time in front of the camera. And let me tell you, it could not be more clear to me that that's exactly where Jamie McDonald belongs. Let's listen. Jamie, so great to have you on Bucket List Careers. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. A pleasure to be here. Well, you know, I'm a firm believer in things happen for a reason. And I am pretty sure that we were meant to work together on that fundraiser. And I was meant to be mesmerized by your abilities as a speaker, the way you commanded the room. And I had to know more about you. And then when I did my digging, I realized, oh, your narrative is so perfect for what we do here on Bucket List Careers. You did not start out in TV and radio and being this personality. You did not start there. You started in finance. Let's go back in time to where your head was, Jamie. You had graduated Oxford University, northwest of London, and you were entering the financial world career-wise. Let's start there. It's interesting you mentioned the Oxford bit, and I'm not saying this to brag, although it probably will come across that way. But because I went to Oxford, they have this thing called the milk round all really the best investment banks, or at least the highest paying investment banks and the best management consultants and accounting firms, they come around trying to grab Oxford and Cambridge graduates. They promise them high starting salaries. And that is one of the things I have asked myself so many times when I look back on my career. It's that I was very lucky to go to Oxford and I, I loved it. It was a great time, probably one of the best times in my life. But there is this slight undercurrent that because I was lucky enough to go there, I shouldn't waste that opportunity and therefore I should go to one of these big bulge bracket firms. I get that. I was so in admiration of people that didn't do that, to be honest. And I always ask myself, should I have done that or not? But I was at Oxford and I was slightly unsure what to do. I was a very gregarious, outgoing kind of guy. And I thought about advertising a little bit. I, I thought for a second, should I try and be an actor? And then wasn't sure I had the guts to do it. But I knew that... I, <laughs> As much as this sounds uh, uh, perhaps a little ridiculous, I just knew that if I sort of went for a, w- a well-paid job to begin with, that I couldn't be far wrong and then reassess. Hmm. So basically, UBS were hiring. I got a job there in equity sales. I worked there for about two or three years. I enjoyed aspects of it. It was actually my dad who said something to me. 
and it really resonated. He said, you'll find out early on in life if you want to work for a big company or a small company. Do you want to be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond? I just found out quite quickly that I just didn't want to be in large companies. It's a little more political, in my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. There's a little more subjectivity about what your boss thinks of you. If you go to a smaller firm, you have almost by definition a greater ability to show what you can do. So after about two or three years, I was one of the, I think, worst performing salespeople at UBS. And I'm, I'm not surprised that they told me that. I spent most of my time researching holidays. But <laughs> this hedge fund came along and said, listen, we think you'd be great to work with us. And I, uh, I said, really? You should see my end of year report. But anyway, they... Well, they saw something in you. They saw something in me, yeah. And I went across and I worked there. And immediately I liked it. It was a better part of finance for me because I had my own autonomy, really. And I and, and as, as you alluded to in the introduction, I was there for a few years before I was made a partner and a manager, which was unreal. I was only 28 at the time, and I'd you know, gone from earning a decent starting salary to earning a lot. <laughs> so you're at the top fairly early, but you didn't stay there for very long. So explain to us yeah. why. Was there a pivotal moment? Was there a person? Did something change you where you said, well, this success is great, but it's actually not fulfilling me right now? Yeah, and it's tough to give an exact moment, but I can give you something that happens slowly over time. I was in a a great position for those people who wanted to be in finance, being a hedge fund manager is like, it's kind of like the golden ticket, really. You run your own little business. And I I did it for several years. And really what kept me going was there are people I know who give their left arm to be in this position. So how dare I question me doing any (laughs) other career? Because so many people want this and, and there is an element of that. But then what started to happen is I started to get gradually less good at what I did. I was getting incrementally worse at, at what I was doing. And Consciously or subconsciously, would you say? Do you know what? I don't know. Maybe subconsciously. Yeah. I think maybe was, but something's going something's, on. At some level, I was just losing interest. And what really did it for me, and I, um, I remember telling a few people this, is I was about 35 years old and I said to my I had a partner at the time and I said, listen, I just, I just don't want to die. And that what's on my headstone is here lies a hedge fund manager. It just, <laughs> I just thought that I had to something else to offer the world. So they, they just became a company I worked for, which, which actually then became a very famous story. It was SAC Capital at the time. They became a very basically obvious moment when I should leave. The firm was like halving in size. Hmm. If you've seen the show Billions, the firm I worked at was, was sort of loosely based on that. There was like a, something inside me was like, okay, I'm 35 years old. I'm single. I've got a chance to try a different career. I've got some money in the bank. And I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could go out and take some risks. And you actually alluded to this earlier that you had the travel bug, right? So you're always a little bit passionate about travel. And your father had worked for British Airways. He did. Tell me about how you pieced this together because... As we know, you started doing travel shows and hosting and such. So how did you connect those dots? Did it occur to you at that point or was it an evolution? I'm always interested in the transitions and how they happen and also your mindset. Okay. Yeah. Lots to mention there. Firstly, I just suddenly decided that if I was going to do it to career change and I was going to kind of put financial reward to one side, I'm truly going to do something that I love. We've all sat there and said, what is the best thing I could do? If I could be paid for a living to do anything, what would it be? Right. If you had a magic wand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, maybe I could be a travel TV host. And so, as you mentioned, my dad worked for British Airways for 40 years. And I, I don't know if it's the same, but back then, 
you got free flights until you were 24 or next to nothing. So I'd gone to about 70 countries by the time I was 24. I was, I'd, just done, I'd done so much traveling. And, oh, that's incredible. Yeah, very fortunate to, to have that opportunity. And, and maybe it was just a thing about being British and being in New York. I kind of just went to these auditions. I worked with Travel and Leisure and Condé Nast Traveler, and they said, so are you a travel TV presenter? And I just confidently said, yep. Yes, I am. And uh, <laughs> they that. kind of said, well, what's your credibility for it? And I just kind of gave them my backstory about how I, how I loved it and the countries I've been to and what I would love to do. And somebody said, go out and make a showreel. And so I went out and I filmed myself going to about 10 different countries in Eastern Europe over a period of about 10 days and putting myself on camera. So that was smart. You created your own reel. Oh, I would say one of my biggest pieces of advice to anyone is like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. It's like, well, this day and age in 2022, you can do so much yourself. <laughs> and on your phone. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And just on your phone. I mean, I went around Eastern Europe with an iPhone 6 and I made it into a three minute video. And just based on that, I had the head of the travel channel from LA having a meeting with me in New York. Wow. And I still don't know how this happened. I mean, partly it was coincidence because he happened to be there. But I'd sent my showreel in and it landed on the right guy's desk. And he said, I want to meet this guy. Like, why would he go and spend two or three weeks of his life and get this thing professionally edited if he wasn't really into it? And, you know, I, I, I took my shot and it worked. And that's how you got Condé Nast Traveler's Eat, Stay, Love? Yeah. So that show ran for a couple of years. And I mean, to this day, that'll probably be the most fun thing I, I ever do. There was such a fun crew. We went to like 14 or 15 different countries over two years. And I just met with restaurant owners and hotel owners and asked them why their establishment like suited the area of the city and why the city was changing, that sort of thing. Yeah. Remind me again, you were talking to mostly restaurateurs on their successes, success yeah. stories, their secrets, that sort of thing. Yeah. I watched the trailer in preparation for this and in that one and a half minute piece, which was very good, by the way, and definitely made me feel like I need to hop a plane today. <laughs> I saw you went to Portugal, which I'm actually planning for this summer. I'll take any advice you'll give me in terms of that trip, right? Because it's supposed to be amazing. Beaches, the beaches. Yeah. So Lisbon is, without question, one of the most underrated European cities. I oh, advise- you think? Oh, yeah. Oh. And then go about an hour and a half south to a place called Comporta, which has got these endless beaches, great vineyards, great restaurants. It's a great summer trip, right? With teenagers. That's amazing. Okay, so then you pivoted back towards finance and business. So you took the transferable skills thing is obviously so smart. So you now had this background in TV, you had the connections, you were able to network and also bring back to the table your knowledge and skill set from your hedge fund days to add to what you can offer. Tell me about this Wall Street Journal series. It's really a cool concept where you're explaining futures through food. I love this. Yes. Like, I love how you brought this all together. It's super cool. Yeah. So at that stage, I was doing travel a bit here and there, but I don't know, maybe I got found out and they were like, <laughs> what's this guy got to do with travel? But then, you know, you've got to try and find an edge that you can offer, you know, to try and sell yourself in all these kind of businesses. And I had been a portfolio yeah. manager in London and Wall Street. So that was a good sort of opening line. And the Wall Street Journal were doing the series, which was trying to explain a lot how these quite difficult financial instruments work. And futures yeah. in particular started because essentially farmers outside of Chicago would grow their corn or grow their wheat or barley, and they would come to market in Chicago and sell it. But 
it wasn't worth them harvesting all their corn unless they knew they were going to get a good price. So they would forward sell their corn and wheat at a price that they would be collected months in advance. And that's how the futures markets started. Mm. And essentially, if you can like visualize the concept, it's so much easier to understand. And that became the birth of this idea of like, well, how can I take financial concepts and make them just a lot more digestible to people? Visualization is one of those ways of doing it. So, and that's when I started partnering with this company called Real Vision TV, which are trying to exactly do that, which is educate people about finance and try not to do it in a complicated or or a condescending kind of way because this is scary stuff but they're talking about big amounts of money so you want to make sure you fully understand them. and that's the whole idea of what i'm trying to do now with them is make it a bit more easy to understand real vision and that's that financial education series what are some of the best investors you've spoken to or you know something noteworthy about what you're doing there well i've been very lucky to speak to a lot of pretty impressive people but Genuinely, and this is not a plug for the the company I work with, but on Real Vision TV, they've got some of the best hedge fund managers that ever existed who who are on there. Yeah, Andrian was recently on. He's basically like the best sort of oil trader. Stan Drunkenmiller is like amazing. I've got an old friend, Ali Akai, who I interviewed actually, which really gives an insight into their process about how they go about investment, how they go about trading. That's been really fun. So now that you're doing this... Where do you feel yourself going with it in five years? Do you have like a plan where you pull this all together in a different way? I know you're also doing something kind of like a podcast called Lives on Record where you interview others, but there's clearly a theme here where you've gotten into this space that features you telling stories, different kinds of stories. Do you have sort of a strategy or a a strategic vision for where this can go? I think this is something that dawned on me later in life, and I wish I'd thought about it earlier in life, Hmm. which is just the kind of personality I am. Even when I was working in finance as a hedge fund manager, let's say I was working eight hours a day, I was probably incredibly productive for about two or three of them. And the rest, I would just be kind of staring at a screen, twiddling my thumbs. But I knew that like the first portion of the day or certain points in the day, I'd be very focused on that. And then my interests would kind of wane. And that's when it dawned on me when I left that, why is it that I should just do one job? Why, why does a career have to just be one thing? And that was a bit of a light bulb moment. I thought, well, just because the person I am, if I've got, say, let's say just for sake of argument, 50 hours of working a week, if I do five jobs, if I'm working 50 hours a week, the first 20% is where I'm really giving my all because like, you get excited about like working on something new and fresh. Yes. So if you have four or five fresh things, you're always staying proactive. You're never getting stale. You're always having new ideas. And so that's when I said, well, okay, I'm going to take some of my savings and I'm going to invest or think about working on some property ideas. And then I'm going to do a bit of like performing because I love doing that. I'm going to do something in finance because that's interesting. And then I'm kind of spinning three or four plates. And what I'm doing on the, on the property side is I've got a friend of mine who's Cuban American and I'm helping him renovate these four houses in Havana. And I've spent six years doing it. So I spend a lot of time down there. The idea is, it's like you're asking, where's this going to go? It's sort of like, you know, these things will take off at, at different times. Yeah. But if I've sort of exposed myself to three or four things, then opportunity is going to come knocking the way I see it, more likely, three times more likely. So it's like you're spinning multiple plates. Yeah. And if you're capable of that and it's working for you and it's fueling you, why not? Oh, yeah, completely. 
picking your career is such a difficult thing because it feels very permanent and it feels like you're heading down a road and you're on this conveyor belt and how am I going to get off it? Your life progresses and you start to get mortgages and grown up things like that. But I've always had this idea that you should do whatever you need to do to make a living and that you find interesting and bearable, but always have things going on around it that you are interested in, you know, whether it's evening classes or book clubs or did acting classes, even when I was a fund manager for like six or seven months, just because, you know, let's see what happens there. Something may come of it. And it's something that I really enjoy. So that's something that's a very personal thing. And it's something that's really worked for me is just to have four or five things on the go, because uh, I I know a lot of people just, you know, focus on one thing and, and that works for them, but this worked for me. Yeah, it seems it has been a successful method for you. What else, Jamie, would you say you would give people as advice based on your experiences? Because it seems as though you've transitioned with a fair amount of ease. I was lucky in the sense that I was in a position financially when I left the hedge fund that I I could take some risks. When I think about successful careers and they say, is it talent or is it determination? I think you obviously got to have some talent. There's no way you can't. But determination is just such a big part of it. If you've got some savings, that buys you the time to test your dreams for longer. You've just got to really love what you're doing. And I have to say, I get up early. I'm just one of those people. I never work after 4 p.m. Every single morning I get up, I really look forward to what I do. I feel very lucky that I'm I'm in that position because when I was at a hedge fund, I used to wake up and my heart used to sink (laughs) that something had happened in the markets. And that stress was, was, was tricky to deal with. So not dealing with that stress made the transition far, far easier. Would you say that in terms of what you had to get past or navigate, what was it that gave you the strength to do it? What did you draw from? I bought a little lodge in upstate New York and I wanted to run these weekends of activities. A lot of people who live in New York are not from New York. It's different to London. A lot of people in London actually live there. But New York, I've always felt a bit like an airport terminal. People are there to make a success and then fly off elsewhere. A lot of people don't know each other. Yeah. And so I I bought this lodge. We tried to run these weekends where groups would go together and we take them hiking and swimming and skiing and all these different kinds of things. And for about the first two or three years, I basically was the one up there, like cleaning dishes and serving them food and like cooking away. And and I I do remember, you know, driving everyone around. I was much older than these, these people there, which is just, I'm not saying it was a difficult moment, but there are times where you just have to kind of swallow your pride a bit. If you're going to do a big career change, if you're not in touch with your own humility, you're going to find it very difficult to, to make that pivot. And thanks to my parents a bit here is that I was lucky enough to go to good schools and I'll, I'll, I'll never admit that I, that I didn't, but I wasn't like, you know, one of the wealthier kids at school. When I grew up, we didn't have a lot. And as I was in my working career, I never sort of flashed my cash about too much. And I always tried to stay a little bit economical. That's something I inherited from my parents. But that made the transition easier because I, I was 35 and I, I wasn't into a lifestyle which I couldn't afford. And I, I even did a spreadsheet, actually. I was like, right, well, my rent's this. Mm. Um, my bills are this. I want to go on holiday this many times a year. Okay, I've got two years of earning no money before I'm out. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and that's what gave me comfort. You know, I thought, right. okay, I'm willing to risk this amount to not make a dime for this to work. So taking that time, saying to yourself, regrouping, which is what you did, and saying, I have two years and I'm really going to go for, I know what fuels my soul. 
And if it doesn't work, I'll reset again. But you didn't jump right into another job right after you left that hedge fund. You said, no, 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 we're going to try something that means more to me. Oh, yeah. I actually started a podcast show, which did not do as well as yours, Krista. Oh, was that right? (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. But uh, no, no, it it was fun. I I think of myself as ahead of the curve. It ran for about four or five months and it it was great fun and I I loved doing it. But there were several things that I tried my hand at, which didn't work out. And then there's been like two or three things that, that have. Those are the dice I rolled. I love your adventurous spirit and watching you on camera and listening to you. It, it's very clear that there are a lot of more things to come. It's very exciting. It did, Nothing seems done in your realm. And I like that too, because, you know, I do a lot of midlife career reinvention stories yeah. and they're just the most inspiring people that are just not willing to settle. I think it's a great inspiration. Well, I'll say for every single one of those people that you speak to, who've taken the, the middle of their life and made a change my hat's off to them. Right. Probably, I probably come across in this interview, like I wasn't scared, but I was, there were times where I was terrified because after six months of leaving finance, I'm still totally fine and trying everything. But two years later, when everything you've tried isn't really taking off and you see all your friends getting married, getting better houses, doing all those kinds of things. Those big milestones. Yeah. Those big milestones. I, you know, I was, I was worried. I was thinking, have I really screwed this up? But then it came together the way it does. My, the guy I used to sit next to at work was saying, Jamie, it's always darkest before dawn. And that sort of kept me going. I love that. All right. So if people want to go online to learn more about you, watch videos, where should I send people? Oh, thank you. JamesJMcDonald.com. JamesJMcDonald.com. Yeah. That's a comprehensive spot for all things Jamie. Yeah, that's everything. Contact info. Projects I'm involved with in Cuba, video footage of me on stage, raising money for charities and, and nonprofits and, and auctioning, and then also the stuff I'm doing in TV. All right. I know my listeners will want to check all of that out. Thank you so much, Jamie McDonald. It was so great to have you on Bucketless Careers. I had a blast. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure. Well, you know, we always appreciate you listening and joining us on the show. I actually wanted to... Just give a little shout out to the team because you know how I say we. I do mean that. There are other people involved in this podcast. Mark Ronick of Ironic Media and Mia Tomasello, the podcast social media manager. So just wanted to say thank you guys. You are an amazingly talented crew. This weekly show is actually in its second year now. Can you believe that? I really can't. I'm so grateful to everyone listening because none of it is possible without you guys. All right, we have more coming your way next Thursday. As always, be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.